0: Welcome to Harmony Talk, a podcast about dreamers and doers, people who actually fulfill their dreams, and the moment they knew there was no turning back, the moment that clinched it. This podcast is brought to you by A.M. Skyer, a third-generation family insurance business started in 1920. I'm your host, Lisa Shampo. Today's guest is one of our country's premier architects, Peter Bolin. The creative mind behind the Apple stores, the Steve Jobs building at Pixar Animation Studios, The Barn at Falling Water, the Visitor Center in the Grand Tetons, Microsoft founder Bill Gates' mansion in the Seattle area. Oh, the list goes on. A co-founder of Boland, Sawinski & Jackson, Peter is also the winner of numerous awards, including the American Institute of Architects Gold Medal Award in 2010, its highest award honoring individuals whose work has had a long-lasting influence on the theory and the practice of architecture. Peter joins us with his wife Sally from their home in Northeast Pennsylvania. Welcome, Peter and Sally. So good to have you. Peter, many of our listeners may be familiar with your work. They may have been to the Apple Store on Fifth Avenue in New York City or read about Bill Gates' mansion, but they may not actually know you. So I want to thank you for doing this interview with us. First, what are some of the things that inspired you to become an architect in the first place? Was it something you always wanted to do? Well, when I was in grade school, I did a little building, a little model that won a prize.
1: I think that was the first or second grade. Also, I remember in those grades getting a D in so I refused to do what they told me I should do because my father had showed me about how to think about perspective. And to be aware of that whole idea for any of us who have two eyes. And they want us to draw without perspective. (laughs) So I got a D and my mom and dad. They were not upset at that. That is a kind thing on
0: their part. I always thought perspective was a big part of art instruction. Oh, it
1: is. It should
0: be. Well, speaking of your parents, I know that, and going back, of course, to the beginning, you, you were born in New York. You went to Rensselaer and then to the Cranbrook Academy of Art. And one of the first projects that you did was a house for your parents. This would be when you're grown up, of course. When
1: has never grown up, totally. Oh. <laughs> Peter, Peter Pan Boland. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The first building I did once, it was a, the first house, was about the time we got our licenses. And two of us, Dick Powell and I, started our practice, Boland and Powell. And they were wonderful clients. And it was a house in Bear Creek, near Wilkesbury. We had moved there when my dad had moved the Eberhard Faber there. And that house, it was a wonder to have the opportunity to do and to reflect my parents and reflect their natures. Architecture is about, I think you'd say first, people. Whether groups of people or individuals. And down to the details or the... Uh, all the aspects of people how we feel how we move how we touch how we use all of our sensors and also obviously therefore if you're listening carefully and thinking about things whatever you do is going to be a little different each time because of the people or groups of people and it's about the place it's not just what you're making or enabling but also where the sun is where the breezes are, how the moon moves through the sky, how we smell, how we hear, all those things. It's a limited number of things that relate to people. And then it's how you make things, whether it's a small structure, a building. In the U.S., we would primarily build out of wood, but also all the other materials we might use, and of course the kinds of wood. And it's a pleasure for me, which I've learned or thought about since I was young, to think about how do you reveal the nature of things? How do you reveal the nature of what you're
0: building with? Things go together. Well, one of the houses, I've certainly now looked at quite a few of your projects, and they're, they're stunning. They're awe-inspiring. And that early project, the Forest House for your parents, in, in I think it was in Connecticut. Yes, then when they retired. When they retired. <laughs> It seems to just be an extension of the natural habitat. So many of your buildings seem to just kind of grow out of the rock or the trees. And how has that changed over the years? For me, it has not changed.
1: But one is looking at the broadest sense of place. For instance, where is the sun in that forest? For instance, the house for mom and dad in Connecticut, you looked out to the forest away from the sun. So it was a lit view, which is much different than a view where you have the bright sun facing you and silhouetting anything uh, between you and the sun, such as the foliage of the forest. And so every place is a little different. The birds there are not the same as they are here. They may be the same, but the predominant birds are different in each place, at least in my life. And they sound differently. Well, how did you incorporate that into design? Well, sometimes you can't. But sometimes you purposely make some windows rather than making a building that is totally sealed up, which many new buildings are. You'd make also some windows that open so you can hear the outside. And you can hear the insects. And you can hear the frogs. All of that. And my mom, I know I figured my mom out. And those two houses we did for them, because you're always doing, it's not just you, it's as an architect, there are others like Dick Powell, my original partner. I think I figured her out as far as her kitchens go, within about six inches. I knew that she sort of enjoyed so much hearing and seeing, looking out to the place. And therefore, I'd make sure that she was able to do that, that I positioned her. So she could do it if she wished. And so, and my dad, you know, again, I knew how he would sit and where he'd sit and what he'd do. And so you should shape yourself always to others. And when doing things, great pleasure doing things for children. And that, and you know, we've done camps for the Girl Scouts and we've done many playgrounds, particularly in our earlier careers. And we also have done other kinds of, playhouses for children or parts of the house they live and so that's different because to them time is different for instance a day for us is like for them several days and therefore their timing is different as far as what they remember what they do and so on and how they get tired and one great pleasure was doing a little children's building up on lake george upper lake george or the uh it was a y when facility for many meetings and all sorts of events and they asked us to do a little child's building it was given by some people who had lost a child and it was a tight budget however made you know if you think about it it's like a dog's world a child's world you see the underside of tables when you're small rather than the top and so I made windows like a portal, got a portal trainer. very playful and put it very close to the floor. And so you begin to think about doing things for them that is not quite normal from a grown-ups point of view, so-called grown up And so that was a very a great pleasure to experience that, also to involve children like the Gold Scout camp, but particularly the one meeting building in outside of Philadelphia. Where the children operate, the uh, it's a passive solar building. They operate it. The girls operate the shading devices. And we've done the same at Pete in the Poconos. It's a environmental education center.
0: Is that the one where you built the wall out of tires? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's the
1: door wall. And we cut them up and made them like tiles. And you think, you don't have clay tiles, the old-fashioned clay. We did the same with tires.
0: Well, sustainable is one of your catchwords, sustainable and humane. Yes, and humane. And if we combine those things, that's great. One of the quotes that I read by you was about Steve Jobs, where he had said to you, he liked the fact that you designed good large buildings and great houses. If you're doing houses, then you're thinking about the subtleties of a building. And going back to the children you were just talking about, you think about who's who's actually going to live in this building or this house How different are industrial buildings from homes? Well, the scale is different. And of course, there's small homes
1: and large homes. I think what Steve was thinking about is thinking about them in detail and getting at the spirit of doing that. Because, you know, he thought always about, he wouldn't have used that term, but the spirit of things. Like when we began to do buildings for Steve, like certainly the cube at Fifth Avenue, Thinking about it, he didn't. He never said exactly what he wanted there. You know, it was just the program. It's a sales building, and of course, they are. It's underground.
0: That was a challenge. Most
1: underground retail spaces fail unless people are led to them effectively. We had a, a great vice president in charge of uh, retail as well, and he showed it. Of would remind us of that, but that's an opportunity
0: because how do you get people to desire to go down? <laughs> so how did you come up with that idea? It was marvelous. You got people to go down into the Apple store with glass, basically, and that beautiful staircase. Well, in many
1: ways. But when I was starting in high school and in college, I the cave explored. And so I was quite alive to that. At RPI, I began to think about, toward the end of that five years, I did a project, for instance, that was a museum for medieval art in a great landscape. And I put it underground and above ground. So you'd reach up for light and you'd move from great space to great space below the ground. And you know, that's, oh, if you begin to think about that, what a wonder.
0: Well, spelunking, I mean, caves are dark.
1: (laughs) Naturally do the apple (laughs) dark when I was at RPI. I remember visiting one cave uh, not too far from Albany. It extended for maybe a mile underground, but you walked and crawled through labyrinth. But it was more like it's almost straight, and you finally came to bright light. And you looked up, and you were seeing trees above a great hall, over a pool of water. Then you could go all the way back to where you got into the cave. And you never could get out that way because it was high up above you. You could go through the forest and then you'd come to a stone wall. You'd climb over the wall and you were in a pasture and there were cows in the pasture. But you'd go to the, there a copse of trees in the middle of that pasture. And that had a wall around it because they didn't want the cows to fall in the sinkhole over that part of the cave. And there was that hole that you'd found.
0: The hole that you had looked up
2: through?
1: Yes. And after going through this very long set of process, seemed long, you began to think about the double reality of things. So it's not just a dark cave, although caves can be wonderful as dark because they're not built for humans. They've happened because of erosion, of often limestone. So there'd be places where you could peek through a crack of horizontal crack to tight to crawl through, even when I was smaller, and you couldn't get there, and it was beautiful. And there were stalactites and stalagmites and water in the distance, and you couldn't get there.
0: You know, imagining you in this dark cave and then seeing a building like The Cube, to me, they're completely opposite. It's, you know, bright transparency, and but I can see where the natural beauty maybe led you to wanting to work with all of that.
1: Or being able to work rather. Than work. Because what else are you going to do? So then it was a matter of making the process of going down that hole or the opening for the Apple store really worthy of that. And so we did a circular glass door. First circular glass door we've done, and we've done many in other Apple stores. Our first glass door for Apple was down in lower manhattan in soho yeah in soho have you been in that one i have i actually lived in soho for a while so yes And you know there you go up you walk in the entrance and there you're on access with that stair and it's all glass including the, the surfaces that you walk on you've also be great engineers by the way when you do
0: those things right you have to my goodness but you and Steve Jobs built a lot of buildings together, and he was kind of he was kind of infamous for not being easy to work with. How did you work with him?
1: Fine. I would get a little queasy before meeting. <laughs> but really, they all worked out fine.
0: Well, one of the other quotes of yours that I thought was terrific was you said, better to accommodate than compromise. Accommodations over compromise, which sounds gracious. And was that something that helped you with Steve Jobs? I don't know
1: do know that my
0: life has been
1: much richer for understanding this idea of accommodation rather than compromise. For instance, my relationship with Sally, and with other people, but certainly with Sally, I'd say accommodation is much better. And that means you both accommodate, as opposed to this idea of, well, I had to compromise, which is sort of a very terribly negative attitude, usually. I think that's also true of... Getting back to my life as an architect, I think accommodating doesn't mean just rolling over. It means finding a way through. And rich buildings are much richer for that. You know, whether it's thinking about a particular material on the floor, one house in Vermont right now that I'm working on, northern Vermont, about as far north as you could get on Lake Champlain there. You learn a lot from your clients. And if you're fortunate, they learn from you. And we still have more to do on that. Like the bathrooms, you know, making a great bathroom within rather simple means. And a lot of that has to do with an attitude. I think that's closer to accommodation, if you're listening carefully, than it is to think about, oh, I had to compromise. So
0: terrible way to go through life. Speaking of um, accommodations <laughs> and, and, and bathrooms, I know that Bill Gates' mansion had 24 bathrooms and it took seven years to build. That's a very long relationship with a client. <laughs> and
1: remember in the middle of it, he and Melinda got married. So that took extra time because we had to rethink a number of things.
0: You had to rethink
1: a family or? And a particular family. So, you know, Jim Cutler and I did that together and we were good friends. And he worked in our office when he was still in University of Pennsylvania. And we were friends.
0: You won a contest to do that house. Is that correct?
1: A competition.
0: Yeah, a competition. (laughs) Started with about 25 architects.
1: And I think all but two said they, yes, they'd like to do it. And the other two said they were too busy, I think. And they were overseas. They were foreign as well as U.S. And it now defies. And then we had serious interviews And then it narrowed to three. Jim and I had teamed up along the way because we were both on their long list together, that we were together, that we were separate then. And then we worked with Bill. And at those days, not Melinda that much. Remember, that was before the government,
0: and And then we presented. But I understand that using recyclable materials played a part. And I did not know that Bill Gates' mansion which is huge, does have recycled wood in it. Yes, the truth is
1: recycled wood was better 100 years ago or 50 than it is now because it was older. And so the wood would be much harder and better. And all those materials now, for instance, in the case of wood, now we'll think about using, often making wood beams out of pieces of wood or slivers of wood, like laminated beams. And the world keeps changing in this regard. We started a, uh, actually, I think Jim and I, suggesting that, got Bill to start a little company. It was taken over by the fellow that was doing that work to continue with that company to do recycled timber. In that case, most of it was Douglas Fir, which is a good construction wood anyway. But there were so many old buildings, like old lumber mills, that were just built with great wood. Like the floors in our house here are uh, southern heart pine, and it's all out of old factors. There's hardly any new southern heart pine available, period. It's just,
0: we used it all up. Architecture has taken a kind of a bad rap in some ways and been blamed for contributing to greenhouse gases. It probably deserves some of that criticism. It sounds like you were sort of in the forefront of using sustainable materials. Do you think the world of architecture is, in general, going in that direction? Yes. But I will say that the first house we did for my mom and dad, not the one
1: in Connecticut. The one in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. That skin, the exterior skin, was redwood, which is a great wood. And it was published. I got a funny letter or two from not so funny. People that felt bad about it, particularly in the in the West. And they were right to do that. Oh, about using their redwoods. Yes. So I've only done that once or twice since, and then been careful what I did and how I did it. But that's true of many things. Now, for instance, some woods you would only use where they've purposely been in a, a grove of trees purposely planted for that reason, so that you're not cutting into the native forest.
0: Do you have a favorite building that you've done?
1: Actually, you have some that you like more than others or I feel really good about, but it's a little like and telling someone uh, which of your children is your favorite or your grandchild.
0: <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> one of my most
1: favorite is um, 10 by 20, tiny, little prayer building for a client in the Midwest. I think of it as more of a building for meditation. It's a little building in a perfect place and it couldn't have been bigger.
0: Well, on the flip side, have you ever thought, boy, I wish I could go back and change that? Yes. But
1: sometimes it's about small things that my client wouldn't feel that bad about at all. But I do, because I think it could have even been better. It often isn't something that has to do with function. It has to do with just carrying through an idea another step. And that's almost
0: always going to happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you had some words to impart to the next generation of architects, what would they be? Well, I think right
1: now, the computer as many tools, is inevitable, and it's truly worthwhile, but your tools shape what you do. And so some architects still draw nicely, beautifully, and I mean, not just pretty extraordinarily perceptive drawings. I think for a young architect, they should try to do both if they wish to be that kind of architect. Now, one can be an architect in so many different ways. And some are more to my nature of doing things that are both, you know, I went after all to RPI, which is, you know, was rather rigorous in its way. And I went to Cranbrook and that was the last year of Earl Sarandon's life. He died at 52 and all had been there before me, like Charles Eames would come back to visit. That was extraordinary. That isn't necessarily the path for all architects. Most would probably not do that. I wouldn't think it was sensible. For me, it made a monster difference. And so I guess we all follow our paths. Bridging between people and places and things goes beyond architecture. But architecture's one thing that can truly do that at its best. But also you have to be enabled by people like Sally.
2: (laughs) Sally, do you have a favorite building that your husband has done? Oh my goodness. Wow. Well, I tell you, I love this house that we live in. It was originally a very small church for the Underground Railway people. And over time, it was turned into a modest house with two bedrooms upstairs and a very small extra room downstairs, a kitchen, a living room, and a bathroom, and a bath, and we had the idea together to make this one room, the living room and the the kitchen, one room, and then one day I said to Peter, he had, this is sort of an amusing story, we were visiting clients in Florida, and they had a place where they went to work out, and they had a trainer, and they said, you know, you really ought to do this kind of activity, Peter, so Peter had this idea, we'd have a little addition, and we'd have a table there, and some other equipment, and I said, you know, I think I'd live a lot longer if we had a, a separate dining room. So he did a dining room, which is very beautiful, really beautiful room. But the house has a history. You said it was used for the Underground
0: Railroad. So,
1: And as we did these things, we'd find yes. parts of the old building that had been covered over.
0: Mm-hmm. For
1: instance, uh, the four corner posts of the church, which was a small church, really tiny, no steeple, personal. They were all inside of walls that have been put in later, obviously. And so we exposed them again. So you have a sense of that old world, a much clearer sense. And we also, in its second life, not ours, but before that, there was a back wing built. They started with chanters, which the government was pushing then. you know, which is, you see more in the, like in the West Coast. We found some of that buried in the side of the wall, so we exposed a little of it, so you can, again, see anything. who, or if you don't see, well, you might have seen. We'd say the field behind us, which it turns out was once a field for great gatherings of many congregations Center. and many churches. Mm-hmm. So all of that has, for us and this place, made it richer in a way,
0: and it's an interesting thought. It's a house with a lot of stories. Yeah. And now it has your story as well. Yeah. Some stories yeah. you probably don't know. True. Yeah. 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 Still to uncover.
2: Then I started thinking really hard. I've never really thought, well, which is a favorite building that Peter's designed? But I will say that that Apple Q really is an amazing experience just to be in it. And of course, it looks glorious in its setting. So that would be a favorite. And it's nice to talk with you. <laughs> It's nice to talk with you as well. I really appreciate
0: your taking the time. Thank you so much. And maybe we'll see you at Harmony in the Woods. Thank Thank you very much. A place that you built, (laughs) that you designed. Thank you so much. This podcast is brought to you by A.M. Skyer, a third generation family insurance business that opened in 1920. See you next time.